So the first reading is from Psalm 62, and it's on page um, 520 of the Pew Bibles. So Psalm 62. I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Men are only a vapour, exalted men an illusion. Weighed in the scales they go up. Together they are less than a vapour. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, pay no attention to it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God. And faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Uh, the second reading's from the Gospel of Matthew on page 891 of the Bibles on your chairs. And it's going to be Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. And these are the words of Jesus, and they're the last words that Jesus speaks from the Sermon of the Mount. So from verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse, and its collapse was great. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks, Steve. It's lovely to see you tonight. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. Uh, I'm excited to be preaching Psalm 62 tonight, so I do want to turn back to Psalm 62 uh, here in January, looking at different psalms. This is one of my personal favorites. I want to pray for us. Uh, Father, we are thankful that you are God who speaks. Uh, Lord, we are here tonight to hear you, to listen to you, to be fed and nourished, to be built up, to be encouraged, to be corrected, to be challenged. Father, we don't want to leave here tonight empty or unchanged. We want to leave here with a, a bigger understanding of who you are. So we pray, Lord, speak, because your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's my question tonight. It's on the screen. In whom do you really trust? Let's think about that one question. In whom do you really trust? trust. So, so hour by hour, day by day, week by week, 
Who do you run to in those times of life where you're in trial or you're in trouble? Where does your, your security lie? Where does your safety lie? Who, who, who do you trust in? That's the question. And I know that we know the answer is God. We're in church, so we're supposed to say, I trust in God. Of course I trust in God. But let's be honest with yourself. What are the things in your life that you trust in or the, the people in your life that you trust in more than God or as well as God? And I reckon that question is most easily answered in those times of trials where you're disappointed or you're burdened or you're hurt. Where do you run to? Who do you run to? Uh, for me, I think there's three Ps I run to. There's, there's people, there's possessions, and there's power. You know, in times of trouble, you, you run to people to help, for help, help you. you. You go to the friend or the, the family member who will tell you what you want to hear. You go to the person who will bring you the, the greatest comfort or the greatest encouragement. And we almost try to tr uh, treat people like they are substitute saviors as we find our ultimate security in people. That is crazy. Or, or we run to possessions. Yeah, life sucks, but hey, I live in Kiribilli. Life is tough, but hey, I've got my gadgets. Life is awful, but hey, I can go shopping and buy more stuff. Or we run to our own power, you know. I'm Paul Dale, I can fix this. Sure, it's tough, but hey, I can fix this. Maybe you're the same. People, possessions, and power. You run to those things before you run to your God. Let me say up front, I, th I feel like the last 28 years as a Christian, God has been teaching me, teaching me to run to Him first. To run to God before possessions, to run to God before people, to run to God before my, myself. And I'm slow to learn because my natural tendency is in the dark times of life, they go for a long run, then you'll feel better. Go to Chatswood Chase, then you'll feel better. Talk to family, then you'll feel better. I'll ask you, who do you run to? In whom do you trust? That's the question tonight. We're in Psalm 62, which is a, a beautiful psalm, all about trust, all about security, all about being strong in God. And I've just got one point tonight. It's three words. I'm sure you can remember three words, can't you? Trust in God. Trust in God. That's my sermon tonight. Trust in God. Uh, verse 8 is a key verse. It's on the screen. Trust in God at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him because God is your refuge. Read it again. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Trust in God. There are three simple words, but you know, sometimes those words can sound a bit trite. Sometimes those words can sound a bit insensitive. You know, as a pastor, when I, I sit with a, a couple who are grieving the loss of a child, and for me to say, well, trust in God, that can sound flippant. 
as I sit with the person who's been diagnosed with cancer, to say, trust in God, they say, that, that's all well and good, but it sounds a bit trite. To sit with the, the person who's had their third miscarriage, to say, trust in God. Now, those words can sound so flippant and so insensitive until you understand the God that you're asking to trust in. And that's my aim tonight. Psalm 62 is an unusual psalm because David is not talking to God. Most of the psalms are lifted up towards God. But in this psalm, David is speaking to himself and to his fellow believers. Uh, we don't know why this psalm was written or when this psalm was written. But you get the vibe, you get the idea from verses 3 and 4. David is in trouble, he's under pressure, he's facing a trial, he's being attacked. Verse 3, he says, how long will you threaten a man? Would all of you attack as if he was a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence? They, that is the evil people, they only plan to bring me down from my high position. They take pleasure in lying and they bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. So you get the picture, David is being attacked by these people who hate him, who want to undermine him. And you kind of think, well, when was that in David's life? And the answer is, oh, it could have been one of many occasions. It could have been when his own son Absalom tried to bring him down, or when he hid in the cave from Saul, or where he was about to fight Goliath, or those dark periods in David's life where he's overwhelmed by grief. That's why I love this psalm. We don't know when he's writing it. But David was a normal man who suffered trials. And life was hard, and he was weary and battered and bruised. And he says, trust in God. And I love how David describes himself in verse 3. A leaning wall or a tottering fence. It's that picture of instability or insecurity or vulnerability. He's wobbly. He's about to collapse. Now, have you seen those, those walls that are like this sort of angle? You're thinking, how on earth is that going to stand? When you go visiting in the UK and you see that there's old stone walls that are a 60-degree angle, you think, like one push and the whole thing's going to collapse. That's how David feels. He feels like, one push, God, and I'm going to collapse. One more blow, God. I can't take any more, God. You ever felt that? You ever felt that in life where you think, I'm just about standing, God, but I'm like a, I'm like a leaning wall. I'm about to collapse, God. I can't take any more. So where does David run to? He doesn't run to people. See that in verse 9? Men or people, men and women, they're only a vapor, a mist. They're here one moment, they're gone the next. You found that in life that people fail you, people let you down. The person that you talk to for so long, suddenly they abandon you. Exalted men, he says, the, the most powerful people, the people who claim to offer the most wisdom. They're not really wise, it's just an illusion. I hope you've learned that lesson in life that people will never fully satisfy. People will never be able to fix everything for you. People can't solve everything. We don't know what to say sometimes because we're not God. 
if you're married, a spouse is wonderful, but they're not your security. If you've got kids, that is wonderful, but they're not your identity. If you've got good friends, that is amazing, but they will let you down. They are not your rock. They are not your refuge. He doesn't just run to people. He doesn't run to possessions. Look at verse 10. If wealth increases, if you get rich, pay no attention to it. You know when you've got money in the bank and you can feel secure and safe. It's just an illusion. Money will not solve your problems. Money might buy you pleasure. It might buy you a nice house. It might buy you the latest gadget. But it's not your security. So he doesn't run to people, he doesn't run to possessions. So where does David run to? Verse 1. And I'll read it literally. It literally says, in God alone, in God alone I'm at rest. My salvation comes from him alone, it says. God alone is my rock. God alone is my salvation. God alone is my stronghold. I will never be shaken. It's pretty clear, isn't it? He runs to God. He trusts God. He finds his security and his safety and his refuge in God. He will not be shaken by the trials of life. And I love how in this psalm he kind of repeats himself. Well, he, he doesn't really repeat himself. Verses 1 and 2, he states a fact. I trust in God, he says. But when you come down to verse 5, he's almost talking to himself. He's reminding himself of what he already knows about God. Rest in God alone, my soul, he says. My hope does come from you. He alone is my rock. You ever find that you need to talk to yourself about God? Talking to yourself is not the first sign of madness. It is often good to talk to yourself about what you know about God. It's easy to understand facts about God, but sometimes you need to say, Paul, remember that God is your rock. Paul, God is your refuge. Paul, God is your strength. Paul, God is good. Paul, God is loving. Talk to yourself. And then down to verse 8, he actually then talks to other people and says, Trust in God. Trust in God. It's not flippant. It's not trite. It's not pious. It's refreshingly, liberatingly wonderful. To learn to say, I'm a tottering fence, I'm a leaning wall, but I do trust you, God. I trust you're sovereign. I trust you are good. I trust you are wise. I trust you are unchanging. You are totally dependable, God. Jerry Bridges wrote an amazing book called Trusting God. He said this. God in his love always wills what is best for us. God in his wisdom always knows what is best for us. And God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it about. And that's why I trust in him alone. He has the love, he has the wisdom, he has the power. What does that word trust mean? See that first word trust. How would you define trust? To trust someone is to, to rely on them, it's to depend on them, it's to believe them. So to trust in God is to depend on God, to rely on God, to believe God, to take God at his word, to find your security in him, to be confident in him. 
And that word trust it is really an, an act of the will. It's a choice that you make. It's learning to say, Lord, I don't like this. I don't have an answer for this. I don't have a strategy to solve this. I don't have a plan for this. But I trust you. I rely on you. I depend on you. I believe in you. You are still God. Three simple words. Trust in God. Easy to say. Quite hard to actually live by. There's a repeated word in this psalm, though. It makes it even harder. See if you can spot it. Look again at verse 1. Again, I'll read literally. In God alone, I'm at rest. My salvation comes from God alone. God alone is my rock and my salvation. God alone is my stronghold. Verse 5, rest in God alone, my soul. God alone, verse 6, is my rock and my salvation. What's the repeated word? Alone, alone, alone. That is hard, isn't it? David is saying, I, I don't trust in God and my bank balance. I don't trust in God and the fact that I live in a palace. I don't trust in God and the fact that I've got my, the best doctors on hand 24-7. David trusting God alone. Nothing else, nobody else that David runs to for his security and his strength and his help before God. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't turn to people. Of course we turn to people. It's a blessing of having relationships. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't find some satisfaction in stuff. That's okay. But make sure you run to God first. Make sure that you trust in God above all those other things. A few years ago, I read a blog by a pastor called Matt Chandler. And he really modeled to me what it means to trust in God. Let me read a bit. He says, this Saturday, December the 4th, marks the one-year anniversary of the eight-hour craniotomy that removed a malignant cancerous tumor from my brain and started the year of radiation, chemotherapy, and recovery. To say that we've been doing some reflecting as a family would be an understatement. Here's some things we have learned. Number one, God really is enough. God really is enough. For years I've taught that simple sentence to people. I believed it with everything in me, but it was true. But seeing it personally has been another story, like the difference between seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon and actually seeing it. We found out on November the 26th I had a mass on my frontal lobe. On the 1st of December, I was going to need surgery, and the scans didn't look good. And the 4th of December, a good portion of my right frontal lobe was removed. It was terrifying, and we wept. I wept with Laura, my wife, my friends, my family members, my partners in ministry, and by myself. But under all that fear and all those tears was this quiet confidence, this firm foundation, this unshakable promise, and we never lost it. God is in control. God is good. God is enough. And I also learned this. The only thing that matters is this. I am his. I'm his child. If you ask people about me, depending on who they are, they'll tell you 
I'm a husband, a father, a, a preacher, a leader, a son, a brother, a friend. But when you're prepping for surgery, I could lose all those things. One day, I'm not going to preach. One day, I'm not going to be a pastor. One day, I'm not going to be Lauren's husband or my kid's father. And all the things that defy me here will be gone. But I'll still be his. I'll still be his child. That's all I really am. I'm his. And that's, a, that's all that really matters. Wow. God is enough. I'm his child. That's why he trusts in God. See the next three words of our memory verse? Trust in him at all times. That's hard, isn't it? Trusting God in all circumstances, in any situation where things are good and when things are grim, when things are great and when things are awful. And I'm guessing here in this church tonight, there, there, there's both ends of the spectrum. Some of, some of us here are trusting God in the really dark times. We run to him in the dark times, but when things are good, hey, we, we are self-sustaining and self-satisfied. And other of us are the exact, exact opposite when things are bad, it's really hard to trust God and to run to him because he let me down. But in the good times, I'll give him the nod and I'll trust him. And what this psalm says, trust in God at all times. Even when you can't seem to see him, you're still called to trust him. Remember the story of the, the boy who's on the first floor window and there's a fire in the, the units and his dad is on the ground floor. And it's only about a, a, a five-foot drop or a ten-foot drop or something like that. And the, da- the boy's at the window, but because of all the smoke, he can't see his dad. And his dad's saying, come on, jump, I'm here, I'll catch you. And the boy's saying, but I can't see you. And the dad's shouting, but, but I'm here. Trust me. I'm here for you. Now, how do you know that, that boy trusts his father? He can't see him. You know that he trusts him because he actually jumps from that window, trusting his, God, his dad will catch him. When we can't seem to fathom what God is doing, and we, we're questioning, where are you, God? We're still called to trust him. But the big question is, how? How do you do this? How do you trust in God alone? The first thing is this. You've got to know the God you trust in. Know him better. The more you know him, the better you trust him. The deeper your knowledge of him, the deeper your trust in him. Uh, Perhaps you're saying, oh, I don't really trust him. Well, that's because you don't really know him. If you're satisfied with a shallow, superficial knowledge of God, then you'll have a shallow trust in him. David knows his God. Verse 11, God has spoken once, I've heard this twice. This is what David knows about God. These two things, strength belongs to God, verse 11, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. There's two truths about God. He knows them, he believes them, he lives them, he breathes them. Strength belongs to God, faithful love belongs to you, Lord. God, you are strong, God, you are loving. Do you know that about God? That God really is the all-powerful one. He is really the strong one. He can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. 
And sometimes I feel like we read our Bibles and we, we read the stories of how powerful God is. You know, God has the power to smite the Egyptians. And God has the, the power to divide the Red Sea. And God has the power and the strength to raise people from the dead. But he's not strong enough to fix my problem. Of course he is. He is the all-powerful God, the omnipotent God. He's not puny. He's not limited. He's not weak. God, you are strong, says David, verse 11. God, you are loving, says David in verse 12. You have a steadfast love, a faithful love, a hesed love, an unconditional love that never fails. I love those two things together. You've got to believe those two things about God. He is strong and he is loving. Because if you just know tonight that God is strong, but he's not loving, then you'll never trust him. Because he'd be like a tyrant. You'd be scared of that kind of God. And if you're here tonight, that you know that God is loving, but you're not sure he's really strong, then he's kind of weak. He's pathetic. But those two truths together, God is loving and strong. That's why you trust him. And if you want more proof that God is both loving and strong, go back to the cross of Calvary. That's the most powerful act in history where God in his power defeated death and defeated Satan and defeated sin. It's also the most loving act in history, isn't it? How do you know God loves you? Because he died for you. What more does he have to say to show I love you? This is love, not that we love God, but God loved us. Of course God is powerful, of course God is loving, and those two together means that we can trust him, whatever you're going through. And that's why David uses words like, God is my rock, in verse 2. He's my salvation, verse 2. He's my stronghold, or my fortress, verse 2. Or down to verse 6, the same words, my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. Down to verse 7, my refuge, the person I hide in and shelter under. They're beautiful words, rock, refuge, stronghold, shelter, refuge. They're, they're secure, they're unshakable. There's sometimes I, I wish I'd lived in Bible times because in Bible times, you know, you get the picture because... David lived amongst the rocks. You know, when David was in, was in trial or in trouble or being pursued by an enemy, he ran to the rocks. He hid in the rocks for his protection and shelter. Uh, when the earthquakes hit or when the lightning struck, you know, he, he didn't run to an air-conditioned home. He went to the rocks and he found his shelter there. That's what he's saying. It's like, the rocks are safe and the rocks are secure and the rocks are strong and they don't move. And they protect you and they shelter you from the storms. Remember the, the story I, I've told before of the art competition? Of a, a, a competition was held to, to paint a picture of peace or rest. And in third place was this, this beautiful picture of a English countryside with a lake and some, uh, some trees and this person reading a book in a calm English countryside. That was beautiful, peaceful. In second place was a picture of a, of a mother nursing her little baby. That was pe peaceful, it was beautiful. But the picture that won, 
was this picture of all these storms. There was rain, there was thunder, there was lightning, and the waves was crashing against the rocks. You're thinking, that is not peaceful, that is chaos. And so in the middle of that picture, there was a, 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 a little rock. And in the crevice of the rock, there was a little bird sleeping peacefully amongst the storms of life. And that is peace, that is rest. See, the storms of life will come. But God is your refuge. God is the one who will protect you and provide for you. And he is secure. And you find your rest in him. It's a very personal psalm, verse 62. See how often the word my is repeated? Verse 1, my salvation comes from him. Verse 2, he alone is my rock and my salvation and my stronghold. Verse 5, my hope comes from him. Verse 6, my rock, my salvation, my stronghold, my salvation, my refuge. Someone said that the word my puts the honey in the comb. Because this all-powerful, all-loving, strong, mighty God, he knows you intimately. He is your God. So your situation might not change. You may still hurt. You may still feel like a tottering fence. You may still be poor or sick or lonely or attacked, but God shelters you. God protects you. God cares for you. He is strong and dependable, and you trust him. And the lesson that I've learned is that if God is able and powerful to run the whole world, then he's able and powerful to run my little life. So maybe you need to learn more about God. Spend time meditating what it means for God to be a rock or God to be your refuge or God to be your stronghold. Know your God. That will help you to trust him. And then secondly, we're not very good at this. Pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart to him. Talk to God. See that in verse 8? Pour out your hearts before him. David is almost telling himself, come on, David, stop. Stop talking to other people. Stop whinging and grumbling and just sit with your God and just, just let it all pour out. For goodness sake, talk to God, David, he says. Tell everything to God. Hold nothing back from God. You ever read the story of Hannah in the Bible, the, the lady who just longed for that child? It's in 1 Samuel. And she's there pouring out her heart to God. And all she's doing, she's just weeping. She's in the temple before her God, and she's weeping before her God, telling everything to God. I don't know, maybe often in Sydney, Anglican, because we feel like we have to have the stiff upper lip, put on the brave face and just tell God what we think he wants to hear. Rather than just spending time with our God, letting it all out, pour out your heart, tell him how you're feeling. Plead with him, beg with him, thank him, tell him your hurts, tell him your fears, ask him to change things. When was the last time you did that? In that time of trial, just got on your knees and wept before God and just poured out your heart to him. Matt Chandler said this, the last thing I learned from my injury was this, excuse his language, he says, I suck at praying. I suck at praying. See, I didn't think I did before this. I thought it was a strength of mine, but I was so wrong. 
when you realize that all you are is His, you realize that you don't stay connected to Him as you should. Sure, I spent time every morning praying, but my life wasn't saturated in prayer. I, I lived like I put my time into prayer in the morning, and now, God, I can handle all of this. And so I confess, I went to hundreds of meetings over my first seven years as a pastor without asking God for direction, without asking God for wisdom, without asking God for power and clarity. And although I knew I wasn't wise enough or experienced enough or seasoned enough, I went and tried. I've grown exponentially this year. I just pour out my heart to God. I want to be known as a person who's a child of God and communes with his Father without ceasing. Is that you? I mean, 2017 was the year of prayer, wasn't it? So how is your prayer life? I'm not just talking about whether you have those five minutes at the, at the beginning of the day with God, but as you go through the day, do you just constantly talk to your God and tell him how you're feeling? Do you plead with him? Do you beg with him? Do you praise him? Do you adore him? Do you pour out your heart before him? They're just two simple ways you can learn to trust in God. Know him better. Pour out your hearts before him. So let me ask you again. In whom do you trust? Be honest. Who are the people, that, the, the things that you turn to and you run to? People, possessions, power? Or can you say, I trust in God alone? Spurgeon said this, I have learned to kiss the waves that threw me against the rock of ages. Love that. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. You need to learn that. Whatever you're facing, find your satisfaction, your strength, your security in God alone.